Today, we get into some of the big issues that just get bigger with time. I'm speaking with my good friend and colleague, Attila Shomfalvi, who is also one of Israel's top television journalists. Attila is everywhere, chief anchor and political analyst at Ynet News, and host of his independently produced Barricade podcast on, you guessed it, politics. He's actually got a real life too, a wife and two kids. Attila is one of the sharpest and most iconoclastic political analysts I've had the pleasure to work with, and I've been around for a while. He's clever, funny, and killer smart, and he brings a perspective to the current balagan, the mess, in Israel that is fresh and insightful. Check out his written work in State of Tel Aviv, especially the piece that we published on October 31st, entitled Israel's Comeback Kid, one-on-one with Benny Gantz. Stay tuned. This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight-up, unfiltered story. What's really going down in Israel? Politics, economics, religion and state, lots of conflict. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. Yalla, let's dive in. Late last week, Attila popped by my home studio for some excellent coffee and a chat about, yep, politics, which I decided to record. His energy is unstoppable, as is his mind. He is so well-sourced and networked, always seeming to be a step ahead of most of the pack. Maybe all of them. It's not about the day-to-day stuff. Attila excels at seeing ahead which means that he identifies trends and developments that are happening in the moment, but that most journalists and political observers overlook. He has been something on how Benny Gantz is and will be the real story of this turbulent political period in Israel. For years he's been going on about this. When most were writing Benny's political obituary, Attila was saying, he's not over yet. Don't write him off. Why? Because... He says, I like good stories. And Benny is a great story. That's just one of the many issues we dive into in this fabulous conversation. Attila is fun, brilliant, and had a lot to say during our lively chat. Attila Shamfalvi, so nice to see you this morning. So nice to see you again, Vivian. I'm good. I'm good. Pretty good. Okay. Anxious, but good. Anxious. Tell me why you're anxious. You know... Living in Israel these days, it doesn't make it easier. I'm worried. I'm covering Israeli politics for 20 years, and I never thought I'm going to cover kind of a pooch against Israeli democracy. But fortunately, we have such a wonderful nation. So but the people are unbelievable. Like just 17, 18 weeks in a row, Hundreds of thousands of people all over Israel getting out with flags. The protests, yeah, the protests are unbelievable. They're incredible, and, but still, I'm anxious. Yeah, I think we all are, and I think it's starting to, you know, wear people down a bit. It's hard. There's a lot of uncertainty about the immediate future, and then, you know, even the future future. So let's break it down and talk about right now. We had a very kind of turbulent winter with demonstrations, with the coalition government and Prime Minister Netanyahu constantly saying, we're going to push this through, we're going to push this through, the so-called reform legislation. And in fact, in doing so, 
we're going to be making Israel more democratic. Yeah. Right. Okay. Talk a bit about that. That's Simcha Rotman, the minister of Knesset, who also chairs the Constitutional Law and Justice Committee. It's one of his favorite lines that he brings out all the time is, we're at, in fact, making Israel a more democratic. Yeah, where's the bullshit? We can totally declare that they are bullshitting us. It's pretty clear. Nobody except them, Netanyahu, Rotman, Levine, and their followers, nobody believes or can point at any point in this plan that will strengthen Israel's democracy. It's pretty clear that they want to erase the borders between the judicial system, the executive, and the parliament. That's pretty clear. They want to control them all. So I'm not sure they they can push forward at this point. Luckily, and I mentioned them before, Israelis are not that kind of people. They're not suckers. You know, in Hebrew, you have this word Friday, right. uh, sucker. If it's something, if, if there's something people hate, it's, it's feeling suckers. There are two facts that are on the table right now, and they weren't there like out in the open for many years. The first one is the liberals in Israel are doomed. Ask me why. Why? Well, I'm happy you asked that. Is demography killing our democracy? And the demography means the ultra-orthodox, the settlers, the religious, the conservatives, mainly those on the right wing, are outnumbering the liberals. They make more children, the families are bigger. It's numbers versus values. Because liberal values are decreasing in numbers. So that's the first fact. The second fact is they are doomed. They are also doomed. Meaning Israel cannot exist as Israel as we know it without the liberals. That's a clear fact that it's so pure and so out there and we can see that in numbers, in money, in technology, in culture, in security, pilots, fighter pilots, whatever. All that is the pillars of a normal society leans in the democratic and liberal part. The engine, let's put it this way, that the engine of Israel. The engine. In a possible way. Yeah, the reactor, right? Correct. So those two facts have to talk with each other. After we will digest the facts, which are hard, by the way, try to imagine that I'm telling you, listen, you are outnumbered, but you are strong. But you have to talk with those who outnumber you. And for the others, you have to tell them you are bigger in number, but you are doomed without them. So the conservative side of Israeli politics leans on a basis of hate and hatred and lies and disinformation and denigration of those on the liberal part. So people are being taught to hate liberals. Now they have to face, to look in the mirror and face the facts. The facts mean you hate them, but you cannot be without them. Digest that. You have to live with them. You have to give them what they want because you are Afghanistan without this. So when those true facts will go down, will be digested in each group, then the two groups will be able to sit in the same room, around the same table and talk about the future and outline the borders of Israel's society. Because what was till now won't be from now. So 
Yes, as many people like to say, we we need a new contract with the state. It's simply exactly the old ones torn up, and we we just won't choke on this and the arrangements that we've allowed to kind of continue. By the way, but I want the on. new contract may be the same, but it will have to be decided upon. It will be, have to be written. So before people, we, we have to say we accept that and we respect that. Before we get to the new contract and the likelihood of your prediction coming to pass, I want to make one thing clear that the way in which you use liberal, and I think the way in which we we in Israel generally use liberal these days, it actually includes the people across the political spectrum. Not in that is it. Since I just couldn't wrap up this point during the interview, and I think it's really important for context, what I wanted to clarify is this. The way that liberal is being used in Israel these days is more in the sense of classically liberal, open-minded, and decidedly pro-democracy. Many people who consider themselves to be solidly right-wing, for example, Likud voters, would also say that they are liberals. And they are as, of course, would many in the center or on the left, politically. So, liberal, at the moment, is used to mean many things. Back to Attila, who continued to talk about what he sees as right-wing control of social networks in Israel, mostly due to apathy and lack of engagement on the part of the center and left. In his own words, here goes. For the first time, by, by the way, in many years, till now, the conservatives, the right wing, right. was totally controlling the net, a social network, right. and the disinformation systems, and all this hatred and, and, and poison that was poured upon the opposition, the acting opposition right yeah. now. For the first time in many years, the liberals woke up and they say, wait, 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 wait. We are so capable of doing everything, right? We are flying the fighter jets and right. we, are having, we have this startup nation and everything. We can't fight them on the net? What the hell? So they started working and fighting back. And we, you it's see been that. Extraordinary. It's unbelievable. Extraordinary. It's unbelievable. But I want to get back to, I just want to make this point clear, because liberal includes people, in my view, from the left to the right. Mm-hmm. And many people who have not ever been involved in politics and aren't political, so to speak, but are at the top of their game. Pick your industry, pick your sector. I always like to point out Jacob Frankel, who was the governor of the Bank of Israel, appointed... 20 years ago. He was Netanyahu's closest economic advisor. I saw that with my eyes when Netanyahu was in the opposition during 2006-2009. Jacob Frankel used to come and, and, and guide him and talk to him about economics before his speeches. I saw that with my eyes in the past. So, And now what I saw with my eyes and that many of our listeners may not be aware of is Jacob Frankel is the chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase International in New York. Uh, he is one of the most highly respected business people and economists in He's the world. kicking ass. And he spoke on the stage at Kaplan, the demonstration in Tel Aviv a few weeks ago, and then walked around milling about and just talking to the people who show up every single week. It's extraordinary. And Jacob Frankel is just a, one of the names, and there are so many Jacob, Jacob Frankels from across the board private sector, public sector, army, air force, high tech, you name it. This is why I told you that the the liberals found out about themselves that they really are the pillars of Israel. And the conservatives have to face that. 
we do have something changing the the the, the tide the, the the under you know this this the undercurrents the undercurrents that we don't always see but for the first time Benny Gantz is stronger than Netanyahu people it, it, it's they they look at him and say we want this guy running the country he's normal he's he's sane he's sane this guy is sane he's stable yeah we want him that's a huge change this is first all the others are, are you know usually people do not move from one camp to another they don't move from the right to the left they don't move from the left to the right usually it doesn't happen at the end of the chase if if they are if they, if changes happen they happen slowly right. uh, during years so let's focus for a moment on Benny Gantz because Benny Gantz for me and I think for many Israelis is a bit of a surprise Benny was polling in the high 30s right yeah okay we can't just sort of say yeah well whatever grain of salt between elections that doesn't account for that kind of surge. So just spend a moment, please, and talk about what you think is going on because that reflects a significant movement away from Likud and to Benny. Benny Gantz, I have a PhD in Benny Gantz. And, the, you know, we had these talks for many years. You and I have to interject, but for those who have not had a chance, go look on our on our website and you'll find a brilliant piece that Attila wrote Thank you. a few months ago about Benny. And he's been telling me ever since, Benny is the story. Benny is the story. So and, this is your Benny moment. is the story. That's right. Because, you know, Benny Gantz came into politics just four years ago. Yeah. It looks like he's here for 20, right? And what he has been going through is like, 50. No other politician in Israel had to deal with so many dramatic changes and, and tragedies, political tragedies like Benny Gantz. So Benny Gantz today, he was up and he was down and he recovered. He so and now he's, for the first time in his career, at the point where Israelis say, we can trust the guy. It took some time. It wasn't easy. But in 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 normal politics, like in, the, in everywhere else in the world, it would take thirty years right. for somebody to come from nowhere in politics to this point. So people tend to say the next prime minister, whatever happens, is Benny. That's that's now the concept. That's the right. the, the how people think of Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz. At the beginning, it was very easy to manipulate all the narrative about Benny Gantz because he came from nowhere. He had a very little political experience. He made a lot of mistakes. Vis-a-vis Bibi Netanyahu, he was like mumbling, you know, scrambling, and I, you know, he, he was he's a fucking up on TV. That that was Benny Gantz at the beginning. His suits were rumpled. Yeah, he took some time. He didn't look like a prime minister. He didn't sound like a prime minister, and the negative campaign against him was very harsh. So it was easy to demonize him. But now, after what we've been through. And after Benny Gantz was the defense minister of Israel for three and a half, three and a half years, I think, in a row, yeah. people say, wait, 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 wait. This guy proved himself to us as Mr. Security. We can trust him on that. That's first and foremost the most important thing for Israelis. Now, bring in the demonstration. Mm. Bring in the fact that generals retired and active officers they said if you go down that road slippery road of dictatorship we are out don't count on us we're not gonna fly we're not gonna bomb we're not gonna spy we're not gonna cyber we're not gonna do anything for dictatorship 
Israel is said, WTF, we have to face this. Our kids, whatever we think about baby, baby, the king. Yeah. What about our kids? And that was the, the turning point. That was the turning point saying, all right, they promised to be strong on that, good on that, to change economy, whatever. Since Netanyahu came in four months ago, everybody, everything is going down the hill, right? So we look around, who can we trust? Who's the guy that for four years deal with the security issues, it was quiet, no wars between generals in the Kyria, in Tel Aviv, everything was managed. You could sleep well. And it was dignified. It was dignified. It was mamlachti. Yes. We, we used to say here in Israel. Governmental. Even bigger dignified, than that. Dignified. dignified. I would say. You know, but dignified in a kind of national. Exactly. Netanyahu is a star. And, yeah. and being a star, you magnetize people. Right? You magnetize people too. Totally oh, yeah. This is the guy. He talks with Biden. He talks with Putin. He talks with everybody. Benny Gantz wasn't the, the guy, right? He's new in the block. The new kid on the block. It took some time to realize that Benny Gantz, with his sane behavior, is probably what Israel needs. State of Tel Aviv is supported by listeners and readers like you. We are an independent media organization, and in order for us to create this content, we need your support. Please visit our website at stateoftelaviv.com. That's stateoftelaviv.com and consider becoming a paid subscriber. You will also find some fabulous print articles providing superb background analysis and opinion on what's going down. Each supporter makes a huge difference. Thanks for being here. And now, back to the episode. We definitely need something different because this dysfunction and instability is exacting a huge toll on civil society the economy, everything. And Israelis are wondering, how does this all end? Is there an end? Who are the rational players in this government? There is genuine confusion and despair, and much speculation as to why Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is conducting this rather out-of-tune orchestra as he is. It's Israel. So if you have two people, you get five opinions. But some carry more gravitas, among them Tamir Pardo. He was the head of the Mossad from 2011 to 2016. I wrote about him on the State of Tel Aviv site on May 2nd in an article entitled Identity Politics Underpin the Controversial Judicial Reforms That Are Gutting Israel. Tamir Pardo stepped out of the shadows in recent months. And in addition to being highly critical of the judicial reforms, he has not spoken admiringly of the current iteration of Prime Minister Netanyahu. Back to Attila, now that you have the context. Someone like Tier Pardo, this isn't a lightweight, you know, criticizing this government. And he makes the comment that so many people make which is, this is not the same Benjamin Netanyahu that I knew even five years ago. Right. He's completely changed. He's isolated. He doesn't listen. He doesn't want to even hear from people who might have knowledge that he doesn't. And he's completely tunneled and focusing and taking advice from a very small number of people 
And it seems that most of them aren't in a position or don't have the credibility to challenge him. Is that something you think is part of the mix here that we're dealing with a different kind of animal, beast in BB? Yeah, definitely. How so? I was asking myself whether Netanyahu is rational. Is he a rational player right now? You know, and at the beginning I saw it's irrational what he's doing. He's like, he lost it, you know, all this. And that's too easy. We cannot look at Netanyahu and say, this guy is not rational. Because for so many years he was. So what happened? What changed? And I believe he made his mess. His arithmetics. He said, I need the ultra-orthodox. I need Ben Gvir and Smartridge to pull me out of my legal problem. And Yariv Levine, his justice minister, who is the reactor of this coup, promised him, if we do that, you'll be safe. If we do that, you can go home. No problem. And I think that Netanyahu at some point, because he's so isolated, because he's so, he has half of the country mad at him, he rationally bet on them. It's like a roulette, you know? He bet on those guys, saving him, saving private baby. And it's very rational. He said, I was, so, for so many years, I was the dignified, I was the one who the, everybody said, I'm the left on every government. I'm the normal one, I'm the, I'm the one who is rational, I'm the one who is responsible, I can always stop, I, I, I won't waste people's life, I won't send soldiers into wars, all this, right? And he said to himself, and his close entourage also fired up this, this narrative. Right. I was like that, and they sent me to trial. I was the one who for so many years I was a gatekeeper. I was stopping them the right from overtaking the judicial system. Right. And what did they give me? Indictments. So it's like, if this is my payback, I am going to hit them back. At a weak spot. Burn down the house. Ron Dermer, who is very close to... Maybe the last one who's close to Netanyahu. He was served for many years. Gosh, was it six, seven? He was in, in Washington for many years, serving as the Israeli ambassador to America. And he is now back in Israel. He had joined a venture capital firm for about five minutes until Bibi came along after the election, said, you know, hey, buddy, I need you. Mm. I need you around me. There was talk, of course, of Dermer becoming the minister of foreign affairs until there was a minor revolt within the Likud ranks. Why should such a plum appointment position go to someone who's not even, you know, running for office? And so Netanyahu designed a portfolio. Uh, I can't even remember the name now. I'm sure you do. Strategic. Okay. Basically, Minister. the portfolio should be called, I need my guy at my side. <laughs> right? And The portfolio is, Dermot, go there and go here. Come here and go there. You're, do that. you're my man. You're the one I really trust and I need beside me to help me understand what's really going on. You're my eyes and ears. Where is Dermer these days? Does anyone have access to him? Does anyone interact with him? He's a very low-key, very discreet guy and very, very smart guy and also happens to be a very nice guy. But he's in the middle of this. He's American. Okay, for all our listeners in English and in the state, yeah. he's American. He's, he grew up in America. He's an American. He's an ex-American citizen. 
he knows how to be fake. Dermer is a guy with a very strong ideology. He's a neoconservative kind of guy. He was running the game in D.C. for many years for Netanyahu on the Hill. Among Democrats less, but among Republicans very much. He was very well connected to the evangelical side of, of American politics. He also had this saying after he came back from D.C. as an ambassador. He had this saying that was revolting that Israel should put its trust in evangelicals and not in reformed Jews which is absolutely wow. So Dermer is a guy for special missions. Netanyahu sent him to the president's house to preside, you know, the talks the with the opposition. And, and the current talks. Exactly. So he's the guy he's sending everywhere. He's sending him to Saudi He's sending him to DC. He's sending him to very, every special mission he had. Right. So Dermer is the closest guy to Netanyahu, maybe like the last one that he can trust. Right. Right? He didn't throw him under the bus. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. I can't tell you more about Dermot because I never had a sit-down with him. Never. And he works with Netanyahu for 15 years in a row, I think, since 2009 or even before that. I never had a sit-down with him, okay. which is unbelievable. And you can never, you know, ask him questions. You can never get some details. You can never call him like, what are you saying? What do you say? It, it feels like he has this Chinese wall between him and everybody else. He's Absolutely. loyal only to Netanyahu he and his ideology. Preserved a real sense of mystique, too, which is a tremendous advantage. Of course. In, in this is why Netanyahu trusts him. He never asked from Netanyahu for anything. He never was the guy. He was never the guy who said, I, you know, help me get into the nest for example. Everybody that worked with Netanyahu at some point came and said, listen, I would like to run. Back me up, help me here, help me there. So, you know, Netany the Netanyahu's are always obsessive about, you know, rivals, political rivals. Right. Especially in the Likud, especially on the right side. So, so Derma was, he was never a rival. He was never a contender. He was never the one who, who can out, you know, outshine yes. Netanyahu. Never. So this is why Derma is so close to him. But he's also a rightist. I, I I would like to, you know, refer to Jared Kushner's biography, autobiography, mm. uh, in which he remembers the days in the White House. And Dermer is playing a very important role there in everything, vis-a-vis -vis America, US, Israeli relationship. Mm. You know, he also he had a, a special, you know, linkage to David Friedman. The American ambassador to 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 Israel, the very close ally of of Trump, ex lawyer and so on. So so Derma knows how to play the conservative side in American politics. I'm not sure he knows how to play with the Democrats. And I I I, I wouldn't say he's a persona non grata there because he, you know he's American. He knows how to speak to American Jews. He, he's always welcome. But. When, when, when you see the tension that there is between the White House and Biden and Netanyahu, the fact that these guys were really friends for many years, Biden on camera said, I have no way, hell, I'm going to invite this guy to the White House right now. And he has to stop. You know, Derma, I don't think Derma can be the, um, the liaison, you know, the guy who can 
soft done and smoothed over the condition. You raised Saudi Arabia, and we know that to Saudi there was a lot of hope that there would be some kind of normalization of relations between Saudi and Israel. And what we've seen in recent weeks is exactly the opposite. We've seen Saudi drifting back into the arms of Iran and Qatar. What does that say about Germer's influence with Saudi on behalf of Israel? I, you know, I think that Saudi Arabia needs leverage to make peace with Israel on the court, out in the open. And I think the Saudis are signaling that they are on another path right now. They're getting closer to Tehran. Uh, they want to... And Doha. And Doha, of course, in Qatar. And they also want to have a, a connection to Hezbollah. You know? Well, that doesn't bode well for Israel, does it? And nothing is good for Israel in this, from that matter. And so, you know, at the, at the end, the Saudis are going to impact UAE. Exactly. Bahrain and all the others in the, in the region. UAE is also kind of flirting on the edges with Tehran. They have no, no, they have no other way to walk. They, they can't walk on the different path than Saudi Arabia. When the Saudis are going to Tehran, what are going to do countries that are so small and not that strong as Saudi Arabia? So what does that say or how do that, what does that sort of portend for Israel and the Abraham Accords? I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I am not a prophet. The outlook, no, not yet. I'm working on it. I'm going to get the decree. Don't crush, don't crush. I, but the outcome doesn't do good. Look at how things, by the way, it's not always because of Israel. Right. You also have the Americans. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the world these days. Exactly. You have the Americans that, you know, that disappearing from the region, from the Middle East. And obsessed with the Chinese and the Russians and Ukraine and NATO and so on. So there are a lot of many other problems. When the Americans are vanishing from the Middle East, it's not good news for Israel. That's that's a fact. It's not. So we'll have to see what's going to play out. But for now, Israel, vis-a-vis the Saudis, I think that we are going to have to play incognito. Like, you know. Very careful. Continue and play the game as we did till now. It's not going to come out. Sit a peace accord. Let's zoomed out. Now I want to zoom back in before we wrap up. We started out talking about, you know, somehow this smaller demographic in Israel, the liberal demographic that really keeps the country running, is going to have to sit down with the ultra-Orthodox, we haven't had a chance to really discuss at length, and the religious Zionist crowd that is growing in number, and has a very extreme, they have extreme agendas in different ways. So everyone apparently, we're told, is sitting down at the president's house under the auspices, leadership, oversight of President Isaac Herzog. And the opposition, aka liberals, and the coalition government interests are sitting down to try to negotiate some sort of compromise in order that we can move forward with a degree of stability that we don't have now, either politically, economically, or socially. What do you think is realistic or even remotely probable in terms of an acceptable outcome? There is one 
fact that we can be sure about. The judicial reform that was put on the table four months ago is dead, as it was presented to the public. Rotman's, Levin's plans are deep in the pipe, like in the middle of the pipe, and they are changing. Even if there's going to be a crush in the negotiation, even if nothing will work, Netanyahu will have to really think hard if he dares to go forward. He will have to think very hard if to go forward. Pause there for a moment. If he doesn't go forward, does his coalition government not fall apart? Not necessarily. Okay. Explain. At this point, Netanyahu's government is at its lowest point. They lost 15, 14 seats in the polls in four months. This is the mood, the public's mood, right, right. towards the government. We also know what they think about Benny Gantz. They, we also know how they feel about trusting or not trusting the government, the acting government. And Israelis are very against the reform as it was presented. Now, maybe Netanyahu, in order to calm down his camp, will have to, you know, go and vote on two laws out of 150, just to make it move. His bigger problem is with the ultra-Orthodox. Explain. The military. The ultra-Orthodox parties want to vote on one law that is ultra-important to them. And the law says no ultra-Orthodox young guy will go and join the army. That's it. Forever. Forever. No enrolling for you. Netanyahu knows that all hell will break out if he passes that law. That's one problem. Netanyahu has to go back and show the, his followers, even his followers, the ex-followers, that he still runs the game. There's a lot of talk, certainly among liberals in Israel these days, about second passports and what's going to happen and do we want to stay. And I've had many of these conversations with people who are, you know, second, third, fourth, tenth generation Israeli and you can see their hearts breaking, but they're saying, I cannot and will not support a country that is not a democracy. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think it's all talk or do you think it's real? It's not all talk. People do go to embassies, European embassies, and get their, their passport because they can. Right. But the same people that go and get their passports, you would, you know, expect them to sit down in their living room, get their banks account, bank accounts, organize the money and say, okay, if, if it goes down the drain, we leave. But the same people that go and get their passports are fighting like hell to save their country and their democracy. So nobody wants to leave. Israel is a good country. And we, and we really got used to living in a democratic Western society, free society, ultra-liberal society. Like Israel is very pro-gay, for example. Nobody knows that. And people are fighting and they don't give up and they never surrender. And that's, that's huge. That's for, you know, people tend to say that that's the, you know, you remember the Arab Spring? Yes. Well, it fucked up. Now it's Israeli Spring, but it's not only Israeli Spring. It may be a global democratic spring because people in democratorships Hungary, Poland, and other countries are watching us, Israelis, 
and say to themselves, if these people can, maybe we also can. And that's huge. That's for the first time in history of the 21st century, I mean, the 20th century, people that rose up against their leaders are strong enough to pressure enough and to change the course of history. And this is why I'm, after all, optimistic. I love that. And that's a perfect note on which to end because you filled me with positive energy. And I just want to close with mentioning, since you're sitting in my home studio in front of a magnificent painting of a moose in the forest in Hanada, <laughs> that one of my favorite metaphors I've heard from some of the key organizers of these weekly demonstrations is the bear metaphor, that this you know, compliant, obedient, liberal, hardworking, serving population. Obedient we are not. Obedient in terms of serving the country, going to work, paying taxes. Yes, unruly. You're still Israeli. Don't worry. We have have the chutzpah. Exactly. But they say, you know what? It's like we were a bear in hibernation for the last three years. And they poked the bear in the middle of winter, and the bear is not going back to sleep. The bear is not going back into the... No, there is finally a liberal camp. It's and I write done. about liberals and conservatives in 2017. Right. And Israelis are used to say left and right. Left and right. The dichotomic right. threat is dead. Yeah. We are on liberals and conservatives under Israeli, you know, problems and everything, but, but we fight for values now. Not for, you know, in Hebrew it says it's for Arachim and not Aravim. It means we are fighting for values and not for Arabs. Because the fight, the political fight, was for many years around the Arab problem. The, you know, the right. occupation, peace now, and so on. Not anymore. We are fighting for Israel's values and for its future. The, this is our very own Jewish-Israeli mess. Attila, always so much fun and so interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you for coffee. Very good Canadian coffee, yeah. <laughs> the bees are listening. Uh, it's kicking horse coffee. You're welcome for the free plug. <laughs> I actually bring it back in my suitcase and I grind the beans, and it's a nice cup, right? Great, great. Wait. So on that note, thank you for joining State of Tel Aviv. It's springtime here. It's beautiful, and now I know it's the Israeli spring. So I'm full of optimism. Take your ear. And I did that. It was very. Whether you agree with Attila's observations and views is less important than being open to actually listening. I find him to be a very independent thinker, and, as you've heard yourselves, he pulls no punches. I've been working hard to arrange podcast interviews with equally strong supporters of judicial reform in Israel, but, to date, have not succeeded. Most that I approach do not respond to interview requests. Those that do make it clear that, in light of my clear position on judicial reform legislation as it now stands, they don't see much point in engaging. For what it's worth, in my view, that is exactly when it's important to step up in the public square and discuss controversial views and not retreat into a foxhole. I recall when I was in law school, the best advice I received from these two fantastic professors, who were actually also practicing lawyers, And they said, a good advocate will always understand the adversary's case better than his or her own clients. Sage advice for politicians and policy advisors as well. I'll be ready on that important issue in the coming weeks. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack, where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent. We don't just say it, meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me? I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Until next time, stay cool, stay safe, have a great weekend.